in lieu of, well, not in lieu of church life, but we're going to kind of do a two-part message tonight as we continue our series, uh, Light of the World. Jesus has come this, this Christmas season, brought his light into the darkness. And so tonight, I'm going to, there's kind of really two very distinct but related we'll call them fruits of the spirit that, that God has really laid on my heart that I want to walk with us through tonight. So let me say a brief prayer as we begin, and then we will get to it. Father in heaven, I am simply privileged to be here and glad that you have brought each and every person here tonight that you did. And I believe you did because you want each of us, Father, each person here tonight is has been brought here for a reason, and first and foremost, that's to have an experience with you. You are here, and I, I invite you, Father, to illuminate and, and open up our hearts tonight to receive what you have for us. Not what I have for us, what you have for us tonight, Father. I thank you for this time that we could spend together. I thank you for each and every person here, and I pray over time together in Jesus' name. And all God's people said... Amen. All right. Uh, we got Bibles. We're going to Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3. If you do not have one, we have them in the back. Just raise your hand. Our ushers will come forward, give you a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, period, this is our gift to you. So turn to Luke chapter 3, and we are looking this week at the idea that Jesus, Jesus is the light that overcomes or reaches Jesus is the light that reaches into the darkness and illuminates. So Luke chapter 3 is about, again, preparing for that light. Preparing for that light. And how, how do we prepare? Uh, my, my wife and I went last week to a wedding. It's why I was dressed to the nines, as it were, last, last week at service. We went to a wedding. And I find at weddings that the vast majority of the buildup of the planning, and especially as the ceremony starts, is in preparation for the, the, the bridal processional, right? It's, it's all about the bride. We, we all stand. We look at her. We give her all the attention. It's, it's preparing for her entrance into the ceremony. I mean, as, as a former groom myself, we, we literally come on stage from like a side door all the time and just kind of step on and all of a sudden the pastor and the groom are just kind of there. It's like uh, my wife and her family say, well, what am I, chopped liver? I mean, that, that's really kind of how it feels. Like, all right, get the groom and get the pastor, get the groom up there. There's, there's my bride. And, and she should be celebrated. It's wonderful. But my, my, what I want to look at today and I know that the, the metaphor doesn't quite play because the bride, the bride is, is the church and Jesus is the groom. But how are we preparing? How are we preparing ourselves for light to come into the world this Christmas? And so John, in Luke chapter 3, John the Baptist that is, he is literally the prophet that was sent by God to prepare the way for Jesus. And so we're going to dig in a little bit to John chapter 3, starting in verse 3. What, what is John specifically telling us? What is God specifically telling us about preparing our hearts, preparing our lives for the coming of the King, for the coming of the Savior of the world, Jesus? So begin with me. You can follow along on the screens or in your Bibles in Luke chapter 3, verses 3, and we're going through 14. 
So this is John the Baptist we're talking about here. And he went into all the region around the Jordan River, proclaiming a baptism of repentance and forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and the flesh shall see the salvation of God. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, what then shall we do? Every, every tree that does not bear fruit is cut down, thrown in the fire. Okay, what then shall we do? He answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share one with someone who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusations and be content with your wages. So what is John saying here? As we look at the words of the prophet Isaiah, that the Messiah is coming, and we are to prepare our hearts, we're to prepare our lives to make the, the crooked paths straight, to make the, the rough and not level ways level and smooth in our hearts. What, what exactly does that look like for the Jews and for the tax collectors and for the soldiers this was, the, what John is getting at with them is, is one fruit of the Spirit, one specific fruit of the Spirit. Broadly, he says repent. Repent simply means to turn to God so that God can turn our hearts. We turn to God away from how we would live life, and we turn to God so that he would do the change in us. But specifically, and again, that's, that's broad strokes. There's, there's a lot that comes with turning to God. There's a lot that he does in our lives and hearts. But specifically, as we look at what John is saying here, there's one specific fruit of the Spirit or, or character trait of God that he's talking about here. And that character trait is generosity. Is generosity. Whoever has two tunics, give to someone who has none. Whoever has food, Give to someone who does not have enough food. Those of you who are being greedy and, and taking money like the tax collectors, they were, they were Jewish tax collectors collecting for the Roman government, and the Roman government told them a certain amount that they were to give back to them that they were to collect. So the tax collectors essentially would go to the people, go to the Jews or whomever it was, and they would tell them, all right, well, they, were, they would think to themselves, this is how much they owe Rome. This is how much I'm going to throw on top for me. And so you have to give me this much money. And even whether you know how much Rome is actually getting, you're giving me this much, you're giving me extra. And these Roman soldiers who are here to make sure you pay your taxes are going to make sure you do that. That's exactly what he said at the end of the passage. Do no longer extort money from those who are you, who are, you are collecting from. And so it's generosity. 
Generosity is how John highlights what it looks like to prepare the way to make, to make the crooked path straight in our lives and in our hearts as we prepare for Jesus. Because as the light of Jesus enters this world at Christmas, it is darkness that creates a mindset of scarcity, darkness that creates a mindset of fear, darkness that creates competition for limited resources. That the, the idea is simply this, there just isn't enough to go around, so I got to take care of me. There was a story that many of you may remember from quite a few years ago now. It was really nine years ago from 2010, August 5th, 2010, to be exact. And it was the mine collapse in Chile, that there were 33 miners that were trapped in a mine shaft, I think, believe it was about 2,000 feet below ground in Chile. After there was a small explosion in, in this mine, a huge chunk of rock, I would call it almost a mountain in of itself, broke off and went flying down the mine shaft, destroying everything in its path. And these men were lucky they're not, were lucky they didn't die, but were trapped down there. This, this rock, they said, was 550 feet tall, as tall as a 45-story building, and weighed 770,000 tons, which is twice the weight of the Empire State Building. So this thing went just careening down the mine, trapping these guys down there. And as they were trapped in the darkness, they had, well, they literally had scarce and limited resources for themselves to survive. The inventory of food, I, I read this. This is, this is what they had to survive for their time down there, was one can of salmon, one can of peaches, one can of peas. 18 cans of tuna, 24 liters of condensed milk, eight of which apparently were spoiled, 93 packages of cookies, why they had so many cookies, I'm not entirely sure, 93 packages of cookies, and 10 bottles of water. Well, apparently 93 gallons or more of water were being used to cool the machines that they were using to mine, but they had 10 bottles of drinking water. There was a miner that was kind of the de facto leader of the group named Mario Sepulveda. He shares that every day, once a day, he would line up 33 plastic cups in rows with, and he would spoon in one teaspoonful of canned fish into each cup. And then he would pour in some, some water and they'd mix it up and make a little broth. And then they would pass out two cookies to each man and he would say, enjoy your meal make it last. You have this meal, which was roughly around or a little lower than 300 calories to get you to survive, to sustain you from noon today until noon tomorrow. And as time wore on, things got even more scarce because it took them a, a long time. In the end, it took them 69 days to get them out. And so resources became even more scarce. And at one point, they found they found a slice of peach about the size of a thumb. It was found, and they meticulously divided it into 33 slivers about the size of a fingernail so that everyone could have some. And then on October 12th, 2010, it took them 24 hours to extract them, but they, they finally, they drilled through. They found the men remarkably 2,000 feet down, buried below that skyscraper of a monolith. They found them and took them 24 hours to get them out and they were saved. This story 
perfectly illustrates what I'm talking about tonight and the idea that darkness creates a mindset of scarcity, of fear, and competition for limited resources in our hearts and in our minds. But Jesus, when he comes, when he brings the light, sheds light on our lives, creates a mindset of trust in God's abundant provision. Abundance and trust in God's provision. Back when I was in college and even even just after, I had what I would call probably a, a scarcity mindset that I gave what I could when I could. I give when I can, if I can. But I got to take care of myself first. I have to take care of myself first. And if you're anything like me, when we take care of us first, there's typically not a lot left over to give, not a lot left over to be generous with at the end. And so this is, this is where the idea in the Bible of first fruits comes from. That God told Israel, give of your first fruits. That we don't wait till the end, till everything is distributed out and you've got everything that you need to give back. As an acknowledgement that all of these resources come from God in the first place, you give your first, first fruits. You give your very best to God. So at harvest time, when we collect all of the food, or, or all the livestock for that matter, we give our very best livestock. We give our very best food right off the top, right off the top, believing that it is God in the end who has provided for us. And again, believing and, and trusting in his provision that he has given this to us and he will continue to provide for their needs. And so for me, and this took me a couple years post-graduation, even come to grips with this, but the, one of my mentors at the time really challenged me with being generous, really challenged me with being giving. And it was to give off the top. It was to give, actually for me, it was having it automatically deducted online at the beginning of every month. That for me is what it meant to be generous. That for me is what it meant to be able to give generously, to give consistently. And so today, as, as we look at Friends Church Anaheim, it is only and 100% your faithfulness and your generosity that will allow us to continue to grow, to continue to reach this community. And I do not ask out of desperation. I do not ask out of scarcity. This is about our hearts. This is about an opportunity for us to come before God and God. What does it look like for me to be generous in this season? Because when we give out of abundance, as opposed to believing that these resources are scarce and we not need to hold on to everything, that's the darkness, isn't it? When we are completely focused on self, when we literally... They were in the darkness down there in the mine. They couldn't see anything else but themselves and their own needs that we believe in. We've come to have a mindset of scarcity. There's not enough to go around. If I'm just looking at me, I need this, I need that. Until we lift our eyes and allow God to illuminate that I have provided all things for you. There is abundance in the economy of God. There is no limit to his resources. There is no limit 
to what he can do, for he is a God of provision and of abundance. Recently heard a story a couple weeks ago. At our, we are, again, most of you know, we were planted out of French Church Yorba Linda. And they had, just like we had a few weeks back, a service where they invited people up to ask for prayers of healing. And someone come up to our, to the main worship leader, David Galton, good friend of mine at, at French Church Yorba Linda. And he shared with him, he was, an, he was an old friend of his that he went to college with at, at APU, and he shared with him, David, I'm at my wit's end. I have nothing left. I've been working this job, and I've been going back and forth with my boss, trying to do, trying to propose, make, you know, make new proposals, new ways to make money, a way that I might make a little more commission, a way that I might get promoted, but nothing's happening. And so to make ends meet for my three kids, for my family, I've been doing Uber until three and four in the morning just so I can make ends meet. And the money is still running out. Just breaks David's heart. They, they sit there and they pray. So he's kind of praying for financial healing for this guy. And they, and they pray. And they ask God for his provision. About a week later, he reaches back out to David. He says, David, you are not going to believe what happened. You are not going to believe what happened. My boss came into my office today. And he said, you know what? I think, I think it's about time we give you a raise. I think you've earned that raise. And so as of the new year, you're going to get a $28,000 raise. And you know what? You also need a Christmas bonus. We're going to give you a great $15,000 Christmas bonus. And I heard you're doing Uber just to provide for your kids. How much money would you make between now and the new year doing Uber to provide for your family? Uh, about 3500 bucks. Great. Let me personally write you a check to cover that amount so that you can go home and be with your family. When does that happen? When does that happen unless we are operating in the economy of God, which is one of abundance and not scarcity? Praise God. This is the God that we serve. Now, again, if y'all know what a $60,000 prayer sounds like, let me know. But at the same time, this is who God is. This is the God that we serve. This is the God that we serve. And as I said before, we're a new church. We're trying to grow. We're trying to grow. And it is by, you guys have been incredible. I honestly, I look out, I love you guys. I love each and every one of you. And do not, I, this, do not hear that this is, is just for me. This is what I want for our church, to be a church that is radically generous. And so I'm going to invite the band back up. And what I, what I want to challenge you with, I want, more than challenge, what I would ask you to pray about is what it looks like for you to give generously this Christmas season. If you're someone who was like me, who gives something, I want you to know, first and foremost, we appreciate that so much. And I believe that is faithfulness to God. But I would, I would encourage you to pray about what it looks like to give consistently. For me, it was giving online. Let me tell you, as a church, as we plan for budgets and things like that, if you would be so generous, if you would take that step of faith to give consistently and to give generously right off the top and to, to give online, that would be huge for us. That would be huge in helping us grow helping us be sustainable and viable. And then secondly, if you would consider, as you look at your year-end giving, where you're going to be generous this, this Christmas season as 
2019 closes out. If you would consider, I mean, what better place is there than, than your church being generous and, and giving of your year-end fruits to Friends Church Anaheim so that we can grow, so we continue to see. We've seen over 25 people come to Jesus thus far. And it is my prayer that that will continue on and that number will continue to grow, not for my glory, not for anyone else's, but for the kingdom of God and that this place would continue to reach Anaheim and beyond with the gospel of Jesus. So if you would bow your heads as the ushers come forward, I'm going to pray over this real quick. God, teach us to follow you in giving generously. Show us a vision in our lives of your kingdom, an everlasting kingdom, one marked by an attitude, and not just an attitude, but a reality of abundance and not of scarcity. Open our minds and our hearts, frankly, Father, to see our money like you do, which is a tool to bless a tool to bless us, but a tool to bless others, to bless those around us. Give us your heart, Father. I want nothing else but your heart for each and every person here during this Christmas season. Your heart of radical generosity, your heart of abundance, and that those things express the deep and profound love that you have for us, love that you have for those around us. I pray this over each and every person, each and every heart and family represented here in the name of Jesus. Amen. So as we go to kind of part two of, of this week's Light of the World, I think maybe I owe it little bit of apology. Last week, I may have burned a little too hard on uh, Thanksgiving or missing Thanksgiving in light of Christmas. And I just get so fired up about the, the whole consumerism mentality and things like that. There are, of course, Christmas is it's the most wonderful time of the year. It really is. And something that I have, have come to appreciate about it is we do learn to wait. Maybe a little bit, but we learn to wait. We're, we spend Advent and even Again, for those of you who start right after Halloween, we spend the better part of two months anticipating, looking forward to Christmas and, and the coming of light into the world, the coming of Jesus, the coming of the Messiah. And that's obviously the greatest gift, but there are also lesser gifts that we look forward to as well, that we anticipate, that we have to wait for. We ask for those things that we want or need during Christmas, and we have to wait for them. The most... I guess, stereotypical Christmas for me of, of, of waiting for that thing that I wanted most. And I'm only mildly ashamed that this is one of the things that I remember most. But what it was, I had to have been somewhere in the realm of, of early high school. It was when Nintendo 64 came out. 64-bit graphics. By comparison to whatever we have today, it's probably in the thousands. But 64 bits of graphics and four controllers, mind you. Four controllers, the first, like the Atari had one, and then Nintendo had two controllers, but four. Four people can play at one time? It's a big deal. It's a big deal. I asked for that for Christmas. My brother, my, my sister, we were excited about it. 
we, we got our Nintendo 64 at Christmas, and I, I remember it like it was yesterday. Oh, we just couldn't wait to play with it. We went into the living room where the big TV was, and we plugged it in, and for most of the rest of the morning, while our parents were trying to drag us over for, to brunch, we were sitting there playing, and the only game that came with it, there were some great games on Nintendo 64, if you remember, but the only game that came with it was Wave Runner, was this like jet ski game and everything. It was completely lame, but this was 64 bits of jet ski, and we were just totally enamored with it. We absolutely loved it, and we had to wait for it. We, we had to look for we wait, we asked for it, and we had to look forward to it and wait until Christmas to receive that. And so the second portion of our message tonight, you can turn back one chapter to Luke chapter 2, verses 25 to 35, and we're going to be looking at someone else who had waited a very long time for a gift that was promised to him, and his name was, was Simeon. He was known as a righteous man that sought after God, and we're going to hear the promise that was made to him by God, but where we pick up the story is that Mary and Joseph, Jesus' parents, are bringing him for the ritual purification that every Jewish male went through 40 days into their birth. So Jesus was 40 days old, roughly, at this point, and they had brought him back to Jerusalem to the temple for his ritual purification, and that's where we pick up the story in Luke chapter 2, verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon. He was, a right, he was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms, I guess he just took her straight out of Mary's arms, and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people, Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own heart too. Simeon had been waiting a long time for the the Messiah to come. God had told him, you're not going to die before you get to see the Savior of the world come. And I think it's one of those, another just amazing things that the Spirit of God was was so powerfully with him. He just knew, I have to go to the temple today. And that is the Savior of the world. I mean, that's just such an awesome part of the story that I think it's often overlooked. Either way, Simeon was waiting for the promised Messiah. Jesus came, did what he needed to do, save the world, but then he left. And now we Wait for him to come again. It's been about 2,000 years. God, why are you waiting so long? When are, is Jesus going to come back? And so we're waiting. And I want to just briefly look at why. Not why I think, but why the Bible and why God says that he waits. Why he somewhat tarries to bring back Jesus. And first and most simply... As we look at this, it's, it's, it's beautifully put. What does he say? My eye, Simeon says, My eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. 
a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Jesus is the light that reaches the darkness. He is the light that reaches the darkness. He came to save not only Israel, not only the chosen people, but God broadened their vision, broadened their mind that he came to save all the Gentiles. He came to save all the world for all time. And how grateful should we be as those Gentiles that he did that? I've always found a little bit of consolation that my wife is half Jewish, her father is Jewish, and that our children have 25% of the promised of the, uh, of the chosen people of God in their blood. Just one of those things I kind of fall back on, feels nice, but the beauty, the beauty is not that by blood we have Jewish heritage. The beauty of the cross and the beauty of the light that Jesus offers is that regardless of our bloodlines, it is, our, it is now our faith bloodlines and our belief in Jesus that makes us children of God that, that makes us, allows us to be saved and receive his salvation. And there is no other belief system, certainly religion, but there's no other belief system that is more inclusive than Christianity. We don't have to do a thing. All It's that, that, that intellectual assent, that heart assent that I believe in you. Yes. Saved. Salvation. How easy. He has added nothing to it. It is the easiest thing to do. And people get all, oh, well, if I don't believe in Jesus, then, then I'm going to hell. Well, I want, I want no part of that. When you, drive, when you go through the drive-thru, do they tell you what you're going to order? Jesus is just allowing you to respond to his gift. To respond to his gift. God is so very patient with us. He is so very patient with so very many wicked people, some of which saw Jesus, some of which today will see his light and still say no. And still say no. That's what Simeon said. That was kind of a warning that he made. This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Because John chapter 3 says that they rejected the light because they loved darkness and for fear that their deeds would be exposed. Some love darkness. But it is God's hope. And I'm not speaking for God. These are his words that I'm going to share with you in one second. It is God's hope that while he waits to send Jesus back, that more would come to faith. That more would say yes. Because he's offering it to everyone. He wills that all would be saved. He is hoping that the light will get through. And he is working in lives that others would say yes to the saving message of Jesus. Second Peter 3, 9 says as much, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And repentance, therefore, salvation. He waits so that more may come to faith. He waits, and it's a, it's a valid question of God. God, it's not getting any easier to be a Christian. This is hard. Life is getting tough. It's not getting easy, any easier to live in this world. This is tough. Why are you waiting? Why do you tarry? Beloved son, beloved daughter, I'm willing 
as I suffered to allow you to go through a few things in this life so that because your eternal salvation is already secure, I'm willing to wait and to endure so that more people might see the light come to me and receive salvation, receive their own eternal life. You are secure. You are my 99, and I'm going after the one so that we can save more because I love them, and I want them to be with me. God is not late. I am late. Most of you, have, probably 75% of you have been to a meeting with me that I've been late for. I am late. God is not late. And the only reason he tarries, the only reason he waits, is that more might come to believe, that more might be saved. And so that, that is the second portion of what it looks like to prepare our hearts, prepare our lives for the light of the world to come is that that light, the light of Jesus, reaches the darkness. It's not just for us. It's for those around us that do not yet know Jesus. Another value in this place is intentional pursuit, that we pursue the lost, that we pursue those that are living in darkness that may not even understand because of the darkness and focus on self. They may not even see and understand how truly lost and broken that they are, but we get to offer them the words of life, the words of God that illuminate life and salvation to them. And so this Christmas, who is, who is that one? Who, is, who are those three, maybe? I don't know. Whoever's God put on your heart to invite. Not just because we want more people of French Church and on my, but to invite to hear the good news of Jesus. Because I assure you this, when they come to a Christmas Eve service here at Friends, when they come to church, even next week, they will hear the good news that the light has come into the world to overcome the darkness and eternal life can be theirs. That is the invitation that we get to put out before people this Christmas season. And there's someone in our, in our congregation that is a great inviter. And so she has a story that I would like you guys to hear. So I'm going to invite up Jessie, my dear friend Jessie. Please welcome her to share a little bit about her story of inviting. Jessie, uh, tell me, how do you Live so your neighbors and family experience Jesus through you on a regular basis. Well, there's that movie out, Your Neighbor. What is it? Um, let's see. Love Mr. Mr. Rogers. Mr. Rogers. I have a neighbor, be my neighbor here, Mary. She will tell you I go to house to house, and I am a neighbor to everybody. Um, I know that when I got saved, I was not. I was just a lightweight Christian. Seven years thought I was on fire for God. Then my husband, who was the heroin addict, got saved. And I'm seven years ahead of him watching this man go out the door and affecting a lot of people. In fact, when he died at the age of 31 from a motorcycle accident, there was over 1,000 people at his funeral in three years of ministering. And I remember Higginfield saying, well, we'll do it here. And I said, I don't think it's big enough. So when they brought his body to the church, she said, was this man a famous man? Because she's seen the crowd. I said, no, very busy man for God. But I remember saying, how come I don't do what you do? And I'm seven years older in the Lord than you. He said, well, you who've been forgiven of little, you know, what have you been forgiven of? You know, 
he goes, me, I burned my mom, my family, I've robbed, I've done everything under the sun. I am so thankful that I love him much. And I know you love the Lord, but for your little stuff you've been forgiven of, but I'm like the 10 leopards. I got healed, and I'm so thankful. And it wasn't until he died that I felt like, God, Lord, I want that anointing. I didn't know what that was. But the next thing I knew, my son said, whatever dad had, it's in you now. You don't shut up for nothing. You're everywhere talking. And I, I knew what it was. It was the Holy Spirit filling me up. And the, I'm such an introvert. That's what it was. Because I used to tell him, don't do that while you're standing near me. Because you're embarrassing me. And we'd go to the donut shop, and the Jehovah Witnesses are out there. He goes, oh, they're giving a lie. i got to go bring the truth. And I'm, I'm leaving because this is embarrassing. And then the police come and tell the Jehovah Witnesses and him to both leave. And I said, see? He goes, you don't understand. But now I understand. People are going to hell every day. And he said, what, you can't? Aren't you, don't you love him? Aren't you proud of him? So from there, I've been one of those who I know God is real, so real, that around the holiday season, I cry over the elf because there's a part where Santa tells the boy when the sleigh gets off the ground he said you believe you made my sleigh fly and I said there's not enough Christians moving for Christ but they don't see Jesus they don't see Jesus in us they don't see Jesus so he's not real so it has to be so real in us that when we're talking to them and we're ministering to them they're like you are different, but not because I think I'm special, but I know the Lord is. And I know when he illuminates the light inside of our hearts, you're not even picking who you're going to share Christ with. So, of course, I introduced, I had Lisa come who just got out of prison. And um, I said, just come to church. And so she started liking it. So she brought Alex and Alex with tattoos all over his head, alley boys, and you know, these gangs, because I'm also known in Orange County for working with the gangs. I mean, the Lord will open crazy doors that you're like, no, I'm just a woman. I can't re even relate to that. In fact, when I got saved, I told my husband, we are changing our ways. You're going to dress OP. We're getting rid of the lowrider gangster look. We're, we're coming to Anaheim. I want you to wear, you know, what the white people dress, the way they dress. <laughs> Because my son, who's 10, is going to be watching you, and I want him to look like them. <laughs> and you mind you, when he died in the motorcycle accident, he died with his shark shorts and his OP shirt because he told the guys from Christ Son's ministry, he was in the Christ Son's ministry, look at what she's got me looking like. And he goes, but the, I know what she's saying. We're giving up the old ways so that God can show my son a whole new life. But you know what happened when he died? The ministry, the very ministry I hated, I ended up taking over the lowrider ministry. I was like, oh, I don't care for those people. That's their fault. They're in that predicament. But see, I came up out of that. And I realized what God delivered me out of, he knew you know how to talk to them. So as the Lord opened doors in 1990, the, the whole march of peace truce came into Orange County. It was because I asked the Lord, I'm, going, I'm doing funerals every week. What can we do to stop this? 
So I told the pastor, can we carry a 12-foot cross throughout Orange County and starting with Anaheim? And yeah, sure, we'll do that. And then I said, Lord, what's next? He, Just trust me, Jesse. And who would know that God would open the door for me to talk to the mafia of Orange County holding meetings over there in El Salvador Park? And I looked at him. I don't even know all about that stuff. So I said, I noticed you're having meetings here at the park. You want to stop gang violence? Uh, I'm willing to help you. So after three meetings, he goes, you're in charge of my meetings. I take my time coming, but I want them to listen to you till I come. So you got 300 to the <coughs> register, said in Anaheim, 900 gang members. That God allowed me to just force the audience how to hear me minister. But out of all that, the police department gang unit said we never had crime so low in those five years. And so God knows what he can do when people just say, I can't, but you can. And see, this was my husband's dream, not mine. And I was like, everything he wanted is put on, my, on me to do, but I seen the vision was in him. God transferred to me. So when I see people like Lisa and Alex and, and then the pastor deciding, you know what? I have a vision too. I'm going to spend time to take them to lunch and talk to them. And I mean, that's very impressive because, you know, he, they're probably looking like this white guy even care about us. But they were touched by that. And then he did invite them to the Lord. And little by little, it will seep in. Because mind you, the guy from the mafia finally gave his life to the Lord, Orange County at the age of 75. But I took him to the harvest and he went down. So I'm sure Greg Laurie can look back at filmage where he sees the head of the mafia going down there and crying, crying. Jesse's work. And no, but that's the work of God. Because I didn't even know. I thought he went to the restroom. I go, where did he go? <laughs> and then the guys are with me. They go, isn't that him down there? Because he didn't tell us. I go, that is him. Let's leave him alone. It's personal. But you know, we went down, and I said, see, God's working more than we understand how he's working. And this is, if your children are anywhere far from God, my son was far from God at that time. Because when God took my husband, my son said, I don't want nothing to do with God. I'm going to hit the streets. I'm going to be a gang member. I'm going to, he did it all. And when gang unit came to my house, said, where's your boy? Because we have him as armed and dangerous. And Anaheim will shoot him on sight. And I remember looking at Officer Wiley going, all I ask is three minutes that that boy repent, talk to the Lord, and just let me know you prayed with him. Because I don't want my son out there with any more madness. I'd rather him die and go with God and stop that than him serving the devil one more day. But my son's 20 years now in the Lord. He's a minister in another area. Mm -hmm. But see, the, the day they were, I asked for three minutes, Anaheim didn't get him. When a park picked him up, they didn't know who he was. But when Anaheim got him, my son said, Mom, on the third day I fell in that cell, I hit the ground, and fear came over me. I could not stop crying. To see that boy, hardcore, angry at God, no church, no. So this is what I tell parents. God don't go by how they act. He goes by how you pray. And you no. just don't pray. I said, Lord, while I'm serving you, you work on that boy. Because he don't want to hear me for nothing. I'm going to go out there and reach the lost. You can touch the hardness of that heart. And so I'm telling you what the pastor has a vision too. I guess we should all join in. It's not his vision. It's the Lord's vision, right? Yes. And we've been delivered from so much, and rich or poor, I don't care where people are coming from. I've ministered to dental 
I was in the dental field, so I've seen God bring dentists to the Lord. I realized in any arena, everybody's hurting. This is a lost generation, sad, depressed, unhappy. But I'm even learning out of depression. He knows I got sick at the age of 64 with anxiety because I got a stroke. And I'm also walking around with an aneurysm where they said one day I could be here and not be here. So I, I take my life very serious. So I, I don't get to goof around like, oh, I'm going to backslide. No, I, I walk very circumspectly. <laughs> but at the same time, he knows that, I mean, I have been delivered from anxiety, depression. I thought you had to do pills. This is a good, not, you know, a good time of no medication, nothing but straight out Jesus. And the Lord told me, you know why you got that? Because you put your fear of that stroke, that you're going to get it again on the altar, and your children who's going to on the altar. And I believe that's why people get anxiety and depression. They, they put all, everything on the altar and they remove Jesus. So now I told the Lord, nothing's bigger than you. My car broken, I don't care. You're still there. Leaking, whatever. But I know the pastor's plan. It should be our plan. Get get the saved, the unsaved, uh, the lost saved. And don't worry about what your needs are. God will always supply according to his riches and glory. Thank you so much, Jesse. And so... <laughs> and so what Jesse did in inviting Lisa and bringing, who brought Alex, who was her boyfriend at the time, and he sat over there at one of our potluck dinners with tattooed bald head. And I was like, okay, these are our neighbors. Hi. Really nice guy. Incredibly nice guy. Oh, okay, this guy's chill. He kept coming back. Kept coming back. All right. God's, God's put him in front of us. God's put him in front of me. Let's go have lunch, Alex. All right. We did that. Alex, you want to get things right in your life, with your job, in your relationship with Lisa? It starts with Jesus. Yeah, I know, I know, Dave, but it's not for me. I just don't believe. I just, it's just not for me. Okay. Can I pray for you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can still pray for me. Okay, what do you need? What's going on? I need a job. All right, let's pray. So I prayed for he and Lisa to get jobs. He had just gotten out of prison a little, couple, about a month ago, a month before that. Next day, he gets the call from the guy that he was hoping would call him, and he gets a job. A couple days later, Lisa got a job. Man, Dave, look what God did. And so I'm sitting there on a Sunday getting ready for service. This was maybe about a month ago, maybe a little bit more. I'm sitting there getting ready for service, and, and God says, today is Alex's day. What? Today is Alex's day. And I knew it was like, he's coming to Jesus today. Okay. First thing I did was text Jesse. Jesse, going to be there? We got to pray with Alex today. Yeah, I'll be there. Texted Alex. Hey, you going to be at church tonight? Yep. Great. See you there. And I, we got up, did our thing. And it, it wasn't a night where I necessarily would have even thought to specifically go pray for him. But God knew. God did it. God did everything. He said no two weeks prior. God did. Today is his day. I walked up to him during our, our prayer response time, which we're going to have here in a couple minutes. And I said to him, Alex, I think, I think God wants you to come to faith today. He says, yep. Come again. Yep. I know. You're right. God has been just working on my heart, and I, but I just don't know what to pray. Repeat after me, brother. 
let's do it. And he came to faith. This is the power of the words of life. This is the power of the light that has come into the world if we will simply give God the opportunity to move through us, to invite those that are far off, to invite those that are still in darkness that you maybe have lost hope about, that you, how could they possibly be changed? Maybe it breaks your heart. Pray and ask God to do a mighty work this Christmas. And so with your bulletins, you should have gotten a little invitation. I told you a couple weeks ago, that invitation is not for you. That is for those people who are far off. And so the band can, the band can come up, and I want to pray for them right now. We're going to do a couple songs of response, maybe just one. But I want you to pray for those people who are far, who are far off. I want you to pray for the lost, those that are in darkness, that they would come into the light, that they would see Jesus in you, and that they would see Jesus and experience him here this Christmas season. And I also believe that there are some here tonight that need that same crossing over from darkness into the light. And so if I could be so bold as we, as we begin to worship here, as we begin a time of response, I invite you to respond. So if, if, if you would all bow your heads for me and, and prepare to worship God. If there are those of you here tonight, those of you who know who God has laid upon your heart to pray for, to invite to Christmas this year, pray for them. But if you're someone here tonight who has been dealing with your own demons, who's been dealing with your own darkness, I want to give you the opportunity tonight to take that step towards God, to respond to God and come into the light and to invite God in to illuminate those difficult places in your heart. So if you're someone who's here tonight that is going through something difficult and struggling to find Jesus or doesn't know Jesus, I pray that you would respond tonight, that you would respond to what you know. I, I know are feeling there's nervousness there's nervous anxiety but there is something moving in your heart and in your soul and if you would just raise your hand just so that we can pray for you no one else is going to be looking around but just raise your hand so that we can pray for you tonight that god would meet you in the midst of darkness and bring his glorious light So God, we pray that your light would overcome the darkness, would reach out into the darkness and pluck out those in this place and those out in our community, those in our lives who do not yet know you, Father. And that you, quite simply, Father, would draw them into eternal life, would draw them to yourself and to salvation this Christmas season this over over them who are not yet here for our people tonight in the name of Jesus